0: I want to give you the big picture of God's relationship with Israel. And this is going to summarize what we've been studying so far. And it's going to set the stage for the story that God tells in Ezekiel 16, which you will be studying very soon. God's relationship with Israel is the most dramatic, most passionate most heart-wrenching love story of all time. While the Lord is perfect and demonstrative and unwavering, Israel is rebellious, offensive, and unfaithful. God's love for Israel is not declared with roses and rhymes and diamond rings, but with an oath, a promise, a covenant, and it's also declared with sacrifice, the sacrifice of his own son, the giving of himself, and he does this for his own name's sake, and he does it for his beloved Israel, so this is the love story of the God of the covenant. Through Ezekiel, God explains that the nation of Israel broke the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and they were incapable of keeping it from the beginning. Something needed to change within the Israelite people so that they would be able to live according to God's laws. For his own namesake, the Lord makes a new covenant. And Ezekiel describes the new covenant like no other book does, giving it a crucial explanation of what God provides And Ezekiel tells the anticipated future fulfillment of the new covenant. So we're going to get to that in a little bit. But first, what about the covenants that God made? In the culture of the ancient Middle East, individuals and nations commonly made covenants with each other. These were solemn and sacred agreements, and they were between two parties. And these agreements bound them together with common interests and responsibilities. Paul Benware defines these covenants as bilateral agreements where both parties were responsible for fulfilling the covenant. They usually included blessings for the one who fulfilled his part of the agreement and curses upon the one who broke his oath. The Mosaic Covenant, first one on your handout, made between God and Israel at Mount Sinai, is an example of a bilateral agreement. It is a bilateral agreement, a conditional (coughs) covenant in which both parties were responsible for fulfilling their obligations. What were the obligations? The conditions. They are described in Exodus chapters 19 through 23 with the first and most important condition stated that Israel should have no gods, other than the Lord. Exodus 24, 3 and 4 says, So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said, we will do. So they responded, We're going to do it. We're going to do what you said to make it official, to ratify the covenant, The parties involved would slaughter animals and divide them into two pieces, and that's where the sacrifice is involved. The ratification ceremony of the Mosaic Covenant is described in Exodus 24, 4 through 8, with the people making burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord, and Moses sprinkling the blood from the offerings on the people. And he said, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you, according to all these words. You're going to hear that echoed in a little while. It's clear from Exodus 19 through 24 that the nation of Israel committed themselves to a bilateral agreement with God. That's in Exodus. And then the book of Deuteronomy describes Moses' review of the terms before the people entered the promised land. He explained the requirements, the blessings, the curses that would come to the Israelites as they obeyed or disobeyed the covenant. It's all laid out. At the end of the review, the Lord spoke to Moses and predicted that the Israelites would break the covenant. And he said, Deuteronomy 31:16, this people will rise and play the harlot with God's of foreign, the foreigners of the land, where they go to be among them, and they will forsake me and break my covenant, which I have made with them. They were told they were going to do it. Ezekiel 16 is going to describe that very thing. And you will see that word harlot repeated over and over. That was the behavior of Israel. And that is what is described in the allegory of Ezekiel 16. The Mosaic covenant was not the only covenant that the Lord made. Before Moses was given the law, Abraham was given the promise. The Abrahamic covenant was not bilateral. Instead, it was an agreement made by the Lord to bless Abraham, to make a great nation through him, and to provide a special allotment of land for that nation. This is in Genesis 12, 1 through 7, and Genesis 15, 12 through 21. The Abrahamic covenant was unconditional, and the responsibility for fulfilling the promise rested solely upon the Lord. Abraham received the promise. Moses received the law. And then... Later, King David received a guaranteed dynasty. The Lord's covenant with David was also unconditional, and the responsibility for fulfilling the promise rested solely upon the Lord. The Lord covenanted with David to set up his seat after him and establish his kingdom, Second Samuel seven twelve through 16 The Lord guaranteed to David that he would always have someone from his lineage reigning on the throne. These three covenants, Abrahamic, Mosaic, and Davidic covenants, were made between the Lord and man. The Abrahamic and Davidic were unconditional, unbreakable, eternal covenants because the Lord himself would be faithful to carry out their requirements. I'm really emphasizing that because the future of Israel today is dependent on the Abrahamic covenant. The Mosaic covenant, however, was not the same. It could be broken because the people of Israel had to perform that to which they had agreed. They did break it. The Lord did not do anything wrong on his end. He was faithful and committed. There was no reason for them to break it, but they did. So we'll consider the broken covenant. Ralph Alexander explains in his introduction to the book of Ezekiel, that the Mosaic covenant had warned the Israelites that if they continued to stray from the Lord's ways revealed in the statutes of the law, the Lord would discipline them through dispersion In order to bring them back to himself. So, this is discipline, really discipline that teaches and trains and changes. Discipline with a purpose. Discipline in order to bring them back to himself. This theme of Israel's rebellion and the Lord's restoration fills the book of Ezekiel. The Lord desired to turn the exiles of Israel away from their sinful ways and restore them to himself. Why? Because he's a covenant making and a covenant keeping God. He knew what he wanted for his people, for this particular special chosen nation. He knew who he wanted to be to them and who he wanted them to be to him. He's going to keep his end of it. Ezekiel was instructed to prophesy against the mountains of Israel, the places where the people had committed idolatry. Ezekiel chapter 6, remember back then? The purpose of the judgment and destruction declared in Ezekiel 6, 8 through 10 was that the people would come to know the Lord as their God. The Lord said in those verses, Yet I will leave a remnant, so that you may have some who escape the sword among the nations, When you were scattered through the countries, then those of you who escape will remember me among the nations where they are carried captive, because I was crushed by their adulterous heart, which has departed from me, and by their eyes, which played the harlot after their idols. They will loathe themselves for the evils which they committed in all their abominations, and they shall know that I am the Lord. I have not said in vain that I would bring this calamity upon them. So that's chapter 6. Chapter 7 talks about the destruction that was coming. Doom was certainly coming. The end was near. And then in chapters 8 through 11, we saw that Ezekiel was taken in the spirit to Jerusalem, where he saw blatant idolatry in the temple. Men and women, leaders, even priests were seen worshiping carved images false gods and the sun against that horrendous idolatry as a backdrop. Ezekiel was commanded to make a shocking announcement. Despite their breach of the covenant contract, the Lord would make a change within the people so that they would be able to live according to the covenant. What was the announcement? It's Ezekiel eleven, nineteen, and 20. The Lord promised he would give the Israelites one heart and put a new spirit within them. One heart, undivided, pure and simple devotion to the Lord. That incredible promise also includes the removal of their stony heart so that the people would be able to walk according to the Lord's statutes. The promise is not called the new covenant there in Ezekiel eleven, but it established the foundation for what we know as the new covenant, and we'll see it again in Ezekiel thirty-six. So they got a sneak preview of the promise of the new covenant. After the promise of the new heart was given, there in chapter eleven, Ezekiel repeatedly declares the terrible condition of the people's hearts, proving. The critical need for the internal change, proving they need a new heart. Your heart is so bad. This is what it's doing. A declaration of judgment against those hearts is given even immediately after the promise of the new heart is given right then and there. Ezekiel eleven twenty one. as for those whose hearts follow the desire for their detestable things and their abominations, I will recompense their deeds on their own heads. Both the statement of giving a new heart and the statement of punishing those with adulterous hearts create the desire to receive a new heart as well as create the question of, well, if I need one, how am I going to get that? How are you going to give me a new heart? When are you going to give me a new heart? That's what Israel should have been asking when they heard these statements from the prophets. The answers. Come a little bit later from Ezekiel. So first, in the chapters that we've been studying, Ezekiel has stated a variety of heart problems. The people prophesy out of their own hearts. Chapter thirteen, verse seventeen. The lies of the false prophets made the hearts of the righteous sad. 1322. Elders set up idols in their own hearts, 14. They separate themselves from the Lord because of their idolatrous hearts. That's 14.7. The people's hearts are weak, sick, and degenerate. 16.30. And the hearts of the people pursue their own gain rather than the true counsel of the Lord. That's in Ezekiel 33.31. Chapter 16 and 17 highlight the importance of the Lord's covenant. The word covenant is used 12 times in chapter 16 and only five other times in the rest of the book of Ezekiel. <clears throat> So covenant is critical as this allegory in chapter 16 is being told. When you see it, when you study chapter 16, you will see that it's an allegory describing God's love for Jerusalem and it's portrayed as a husband finding and loving a wife despite her unworthiness and infidelity. The purpose of the allegory was to show the abominations committed by the nation and to show that because of them, judgments would be carried out. At the end of that allegory, that story, the very last two verses, verses 59 and 60, that's a long chapter. Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 1 through 60. (laughs) Um, These verses conclude with the Lord declaring, that he would carry out the curses that were a stipulation in the Mosaic covenant. And he affirmed his unchanging faithfulness to his covenants. I'm going to read these two verses. Thus says the Lord, I will deal with you as you have done, who despised the oath by breaking the covenant, broke the Mosaic covenant. Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, the Abrahamic covenant. And I will establish an everlasting covenant with you, the new covenant. After chapter 16, chapter 17, covenant is still the focus in this riddle that you will see. Ezekiel contrasts King Zedekiah's covenant with Nebuchadnezzar to King Zedekiah's covenant with the Lord. Zedekiah breaks the covenant with Nebuchadnezzar. And the question is posed, Ezekiel seventeen fifteen can he, can the king break a covenant and still be delivered? And this is a rhetorical question. The answer is no. The Lord refers to the Mosaic covenant and says in verse 19, surely my oath, which he despised and my covenant, which he broke, I will recompense on his own head. It's clear that judgment would come upon Israel because the nation had broken the Mosaic Covenant. And you've seen the very important refrain stating the Lord's purpose in carrying out judgment on his people. They shall know that he is the Lord. They shall know that he is the Lord. That was the purpose of the Abrahamic Covenant. Listen to Genesis seventeen, seven and 8. The Lord said, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you through their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you, and I will be their God. The Lord wanted to establish a nation who would know that the Lord is their God and they are his people. It was also the purpose of the Mosaic covenant. Deuteronomy twenty nine twelve and 13 say um, the purpose of the Mosaic covenant is that you may enter into covenant with the Lord your God and into his oath, which the Lord your God makes with you today, that he may establish you today as a people for himself and that he may be God to you just as he has spoken to you and just as he has sworn to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob. There's continuity between these covenants. The people of Israel had entered into a covenant which they would never be able to fulfill. Ezekiel's prophecies proved it. Their behavior proved it. He just talked about their behavior. The only way that the people would be able to fulfill their commitment to the covenant with the Lord would be if he changed the requirements of the covenant Or if he changed the people. Our holy God requires a holy people. He says how it's going to be. So the requirements of the covenant would not be changed. They could not be changed. But the hearts of the people could. That's amazing. At the very point in time when the Lord judged Israel for her adultery. When he brought Nebuchadnezzar against Jerusalem, when he destroyed his temple, when everything is coming down at the worst moment, that's when he expressed his passionate love with a new declaration, a new promise, a new commitment, a new covenant. He did it right in the middle of all the chaos. Jeremiah was right there when everybody was being told destruction is coming. You've sinned against the Lord. You're going into exile. They didn't believe it. And in the middle of all that, Jeremiah 31 31 through 34 names the new covenant. It is stated that the Lord will make a new covenant. Seeing it in Jeremiah helps us recognize it in Ezekiel. So the specific details of the new covenant in Jeremiah are that it is new, Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-two. It's with the house of Israel and Judah. It is not like the Mosaic covenant. The Lord will put his law in the people's hearts and minds so they will be his people and he will be their God. Forgiveness of sins will be a certainty. Then certain aspects of the new covenant are also described in another chapter, Jeremiah 32, verse 39 and 40. And it says the Lord will give the people one heart and the Lord will make the covenant everlasting. With these details in mind, it's easy to recognize the new covenant in Ezekiel, even though the prophet doesn't use the name for it. It's mentioned in Ezekiel 11 as I brought to you. And it is also mentioned and hinted at in Ezekiel 16. Then in Ezekiel 36 22 through 27, the new covenant is described and promised. It's promised to the house of Israel. The Lord states he will give the people a new heart, taking out the heart of stone that was disobedient to his law. He states that he will give the people a new spirit, not just any old spirit floating around, right? He will give his own Holy Spirit. Who will enable the people to keep the laws of the Lord with a new heart and with the very spirit of the Lord? The people would have the laws of the Lord written on their hearts and minds. The new covenant is radically different from the Abrahamic, Mosaic, and Davidic covenants. Why? Because it promises an internal transformation, an internal blessing. But each of the previous covenants promised external blessings, things that the Lord was going to do for them, provide for them. Ezekiel explains, as no other book in the Bible does, that the new covenant is a promise of receiving the spirit of God into one's heart, mind and soul so that one can follow the laws of the Lord, receiving the spirit. And then this giving of the spirit is reiterated in Ezekiel 37, 14, that chapter about the dry bones, and in Ezekiel thirty nine twenty nine, that's a chapter that has to do with the war of Gog and Magog. The giving of the Spirit is crucial to the concept of the new covenant. Again, the Israelites were proven incapable of fulfilling the Mosaic covenant in their own strength, but with the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit indwelling them, they would be able to truly be the righteous people of their holy God. So when will they get it? Have they gotten it yet? When did God get this new covenant started? It was initiated later. The promise was given through Ezekiel, but the fulfillment of the covenant, the time when it began to have action, was not carried out. During Ezekiel's lifetime it wasn't carried out when the exiles returned to Israel it wasn't until 400 years later that the new covenant was ratified through sacrifice when Christ bled and died on the cross this made the new covenant official and put it into action prior to his death Christ offered his body and his blood saying Matthew 26:28 This is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Do you remember what Moses said about the Mosaic covenant? This is the blood of the covenant. Now Jesus says, this is the blood of the new covenant. So we can see the connection and even a looking back to that time of Moses and the Mosaic covenant. That was the old This is the new, the big difference in how it comes about because of Jesus' death on the cross. The new covenant as described in Ezekiel was clearly promised to the nation of Israel, but believers today are recipients of the promised new heart and new spirit. Christ himself as well as other New Testament authors proclaim the truths that the spiritual blessings of the new covenant belong to those in Christ. Circumcision of the heart is described in Romans 2.29 as being by the Spirit. And it's further explained in Colossians 2.11 and 12. We've seen those verses. Circumcision is the cutting away of the dead flesh, that old heart. The book of Hebrews declares that Christ ushered in the new covenant of which those in Christ have become partakers. That's Hebrews in chapter seven and eight. (laughs) Hebrews also states that Christ is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgression under the first covenant. So you see that the old covenants are critical in the lives of the people of Israel Covenant is critical in the Old Testament and covenant is critical in the New Testament. The New Testament is looking back at the old covenants and what the new covenant is that we are recipients of as well. The letter to the Ephesians includes Gentiles as recipients of the new covenant, according to Ephesians two twelve and 13, saying that those who were once strangers to the covenants of promise are now recipients of them through the blood of Christ. While those in Christ are recipients of the provisions of the new covenant, we are not replacements for the nation of Israel. Each of the past covenants was made between the Lord and the people of Israel and the fulfillments of the covenants will be given to them. Why? God said it. He's faithful to his word. What he says, he does. He's a covenant making God and a covenant keeping God. His hesed, his faithful love, loving kindness, is, that's a covenant word as well. I just had to mention that because if you've been in my studies, you know we, we look at that word often. Now, when will these covenant promises be fulfilled to Israel in the future. In Ezekiel eleven seventeen through 19, the Lord promises to gather the people from the nations where they were scattered and give them the land promised in the Abrahamic covenant. After receiving the land, after they're all gathered back together, the Lord says that then he will give them a new heart and a new spirit. The same timing is stated in Ezekiel 36, 24 through 27. I will take you from among the nations and gather you out of all the countries and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will give you a new heart. Being returned to the land and then receiving the spirit is also declared in Ezekiel thirty seven twelve through 14 and Ezekiel 39, through 29. When you look at the circumstances surrounding the fulfillment of the new covenant, which are considered along with other prophetic passages in Hosea 3.4 and Joel 2 and Zephaniah 3 and Zechariah 12.10, it becomes clear that these events have not yet occurred. We're still watching and waiting up to this point in time. The nation of Israel has rejected Jesus as its Messiah, Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. But the day will come when, according to Romans eleven twenty-five through 32, as Paul said, all Israel will be saved. And Paul quotes the words of the Lord, who says, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. There will be a time when the people of Israel recognize Jesus Christ as him whom they have pierced and they will mourn over their transgressions and they will repent of them. They will call on the name of Jesus. They will be cleansed and receive a new heart and a new spirit. And when they have known him and been changed they're going to call for him the deliverer and we know him by another name now if you studied with us in Micah the breaker will come the deliverer, the breaker will come and take them out of their hiding place where they've been being protected by the Lord the nation of Israel and Jesus will lead them home. The last chapters of Ezekiel describe what life will be like for the Israelites when they live at home in the promised land, worshiping the Lord and obeying him with all of their heart. And that will be a prelude to the eternal happily ever after. Ezekiel 40 through 48 describe a holy temple in the land of Israel in which the Lord dwells in all of his glory and in which Christ reigns as king and high priest, reigning from the temple. He's on the throne there. The Davidic covenant will be seen in its fulfillment there. The Lord declares in Ezekiel 43:7, No more shall the house of Israel defile my holy name, they nor their kings, by their harlotry or with the carcasses of their kings on their high places. That declaration is evidence of the internal change that the people will have, which is brought about by the fulfillment of the new covenant. The Lord's purpose in covenanting with Israel was to glorify himself as he made an unworthy people, his own precious possession, making them his people and making himself their God. That's been his declaration, his plan, and his enemy has been against it from the first moment. He's still against it. He will be against it until God is done with the enemy. So there is quite the battle going on between the Lord and Satan because of God's word to Israel through his covenants. But he has done this to glorify himself, to glorify himself before all people and before all spiritual wickedness in high places and all the good angels too. (laughs) He will be glorified. The last words of the book of Ezekiel show the fulfillment of the Lord's covenants with Israel. It says, the name of the city shall be, the Lord is there. That means the Lord is there with them. And they know him as their God. The final result is that the Israelite people, as well as those in Christ, are thoroughly changed from being rebels, idolaters, adulterers. Changed to being beautiful, devoted people who are able to live righteously under the authority of the Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is All possible because of our covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. His is the greatest love story ever told. He loved the unlovely. He endured the awful pain of rejection. And he never stopped pursuing his beloved. He's still pursuing his beloved now. Once you are loved by God... You are always loved by him. You always belong to him and he will not let you go. And that's what you can take away from all of this information about the covenant. That God said it and he keeps it. And that means that you, who he has poured out his spirit on, you, who he has made his own, you belong to him. You have eternal security. Once loved, always loved. Once saved, always saved. You can say for eternity, I am my beloved's and he is mine. Let's pray. Lord God, our great God, our faithful God, we thank you for all that you are in all of your holiness and goodness and love. We thank you for giving your word that you wanted to be God to a particular people. You want them to know you as their Lord. And because of that, we have been able to come to know you as our Lord. Thank you, God, our Father, for giving your son, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you loved through these covenants and gave of yourself. We Thank you that you are the atonement and the cleansing for us, for our sins. We thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit to live within us, to make us yours to know that we belong to you, to give us the ability to walk with you. You have done amazing, incomprehensible work. We cannot understand all of this. It is supernatural. You are our God who is above and beyond. We worship you for who you are. We praise you that you keep your word. Help us to walk with you as we should, as we can, and to keep worshiping you and letting others know who you are. We just say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.